0: You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes over 2,500 page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and there you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who have proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria teaches how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 236. We are reading from Book 3, Volume 6, Chapter 11, Paragraphs. 482-492 to 492. 482. The Heavenly Queen understood also by a special vision how the most sacred body of Christ is hidden beneath the accidents of bread and wine, without change in them or alteration of the sacred humanity, for neither can the body be the subject of the accidents, nor can the accidents be the form of the body. The accidents retain the same extension and qualities as before, and each of their parts retain the same position after the host has been consecrated, and the sacred body is present in an invisible form, also retaining the same size without intermingling of parts. It remains in the whole host and all of it in every particle of the host without being stained by the host or the host by the body. For neither is the extension of his body correlative with the accidental species, nor do they depend upon the sacred body for their existence. They, therefore, have a totally different mode of existence, and the body interpenetrates the accidents without hindrance. Although naturally the head would demand a different place from the hands, or these a different one from the beast, or any other part of the body. Yet the divine power, the consecrated body, places itself unimpaired in its extent in one and the same place, because it bears no relation to the space which it would naturally occupy, having thrown aside all these revelations, though, still remaining a quantitative body. Moreover, it need not necessarily remain in one determined place only, or in only one host, but at the same time it can be present in many innumerable consecrated hosts. 483. She understood likewise that the sacred body, although not naturally depending upon the accidents as above-declared yet does not continue to exist sacramentally in these accidents after the corruption of the species of the bread and wine, and this for no other reason than because it was so willed by Christ, the author of these wonders. The coexistence of the sacred body and blood of our Lord with the incorrupted species of bread and wine, therefore rests upon the arbitrary and voluntary disposition of the creator of this sacrament. As soon as they deteriorate and disappear on account of the natural process destructive of these species, for instance, as happens in Holy Communion with the sacramental host, which is changed and corrupted by the heat of the stomach, or when this is effected by other causes, then God, in the last instant, when the species are ready for their last transformation, again creates another substance. This new substance, being devoid of the divinity, nourishes the human body, and finally coalesces with the human form of existence, which is the soul. This wonderful creation of a new substance for the assumption of the changed and corrupted species is consequent upon the will of the Lord, who wishes not to continue the existence of his body in the corrupted accidents, and this process is demanded also by the laws of nature. For the substance of man cannot grow except by some other substance, which, being newly added, prevents the accidents from continuing to exist. 484. All these and other wonders the right hand of the Almighty perpetuated in the most august sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. All of them, the mistress of heaven and earth, understood and comprehended profoundly. In like manner, St. John, the fathers of the ancient law and the apostles who were present, perceived these mysteries, each in their degree. Aware of the great blessing contained therein for all men, Mary foresaw also the ingratitude of mortals, in regard to this ineffable sacrament, established for their benefit, and she resolved to atone with all the powers of her being for our shameless and ungrateful behavior. She took upon herself the duty of rendering thanks to the Eternal Father and to His Divine Son, for this extraordinary and wonderful benefit to the human race. This earnest desire dwelled in her soul during her whole life, and many times did she shed tears of blood welling forth from her purest heart, in order to satisfy for our shameful, and torpid forgetfulness. 485. Still greater was my admiration when Jesus, our God, having raised the most holy sacrament, as I said before, for their adoration, divided it by his own sacred hands. First partook of it himself as being the first and chief of the priests. Recognizing himself as man inferior to the divinity, which he was now to receive in this, his own consecrated body and blood, he humiliated and, as it were, with a trembling of the inferior part of his being, shrank within himself before the divinity, thereby not only teaching us the reverence with which Holy Communion is to be received, but also showing us what was his sorrow at the temerity and the presumption of many men during the reception and handling of this exalted and sublime sacrament. The effects of Holy Communion in the body of Christ were altogether miraculous and divine, For during a short space of time, the gifts of glory flowed over in his body, just as on Mount Tabor, though the effects of this transfiguration were manifest only to his Blessed Mother and partly also to St. John, Enoch, and Elias. This was the last consolation he permitted his humanity to enjoy, as to its inferior part during his earthly life, and from the moment until his death, he rejected all such alleviation. The Virgin Mother, by a special vision, also understood how Christ, her divine Son, received himself in the Blessed Sacrament, and what was the manner of its pretense in his divine heart. All this caused inestimable affection in our Queen and Lady. 4.86 While receiving his own body and blood, Christ our Lord composed a canticle of praise to the Eternal Father, and offered himself in the Blessed Sacrament as a sacrifice for the salvation of man. He took another particle of the consecrated bread and handed it to the Archangel Gabriel, who brought and communicated it to the Most Holy Mary. By having such a privilege, conferred the one of their number. The holy angels considered themselves sufficiently recompensed for being excluded from the sacerdotal dignity and for the yielding it to man. The privilege of merely having even one of their number hold the sacramental body of their Lord and true God filled them with a new and immense joy." In abundant tears of consolation, the great queen awaited Holy Communion. When St. Gabriel was innumerable, other angels approached. She received it, the first after her son, imitating his self-abasement, reverence, and holy fear. The most blessed sacrament was deposited in the breast and above the heart of the Most Holy Virgin Mother, as in the most legitimate shrine and tabernacle of the Most High. There the ineffable sacrament of the Holy Eucharist remained deposited from that hour until after the resurrection, when St. Peter said the first Mass and consecrated anew, as I shall relate, in its place. The Almighty wished to have it so for the consolation of the great Queen, and in order to fulfill His promise that He would remain with the children of men until the consummation of the ages. Matthew 28.20 For after his death, his most holy humanity could not remain in his church any other way than by his consecrated body and blood. This true manna was then deposited in the most pure Mary as in the living ark together with the whole evangelical law, just as formerly its prophetic figures were deposited in the ark of Moses, Hebrews 9.4. The sacramental species were not consumed or altered in the heart of Our Lady and Queen of Heaven until the next consecration. Having received Holy Communion, the Blessed Mother gave thanks to the Eternal Father and to Her Divine Son, a new canticle similar to the ones the Incarnate Word had rendered to His Father. 4.87 After having thus favored the Heavenly Princess, our Savior distributed the sacramental bread to the Apostles, Luke 22.17, commanding them to divide it among themselves and partake of it. By this commandment He conferred on them the sacerdotal dignity, and thus began to exercise it by giving communion each to himself. This they did with the greatest reverence, shedding copious tears and adoring the body and blood of our Lord, whom they were receiving. They were established in the power of the priesthood as being founders of the Holy Church, and enjoying the distinction of priority over all others. Ephesians 2.20 Then St. Peter, at the command of Christ the Lord, administered two of the particles of Holy Communion to the two patriarchs, Enoch and Elias. This holy communion so rejoiced these two holy men that they were encountered anew in their hope of the beatific vision, which for them was to be deferred for so many ages, and they were strengthened to live on in this hope until the end of the world. Having given most fervent and humble thanks to the Almighty for this blessing, they were brought back to their abiding place by the hands of the holy angels. The Lord desired to work this miracle in order to pledge himself to include the ancient natural and written laws in the benefits of the Incarnation, Redemption, and General Resurrection, since all these mysteries were contained in the Most Holy Eucharist. By thus communicating himself to the two holy men, Enoch and Elias, who were still in their mortal flesh, these blessings were extended over the human race, such as it existed under the natural and written laws while all the succeeding generations were to be included in the new law of grace, the apostles at the head. This was all well understood by Enoch and Elias, and returning to the midst of their contemporaries, they gave thanks to their and our Redeemer for this mysterious blessing. Four eighty-eight. Another very wonderful miracle happened at the communion of the apostles. The perfidious and treacherous Judas, hearing the command of his master to partake of Holy Communion, resolved in his unbelief not to comply, but if he could do so without being observed, determined to secure the sacred body and bring it to the priests and Pharisees in order to afford them a chance of incriminating Jesus by showing them what he called his own body, or, if he should not succeed therein, to consummate some other vile act of malice with the divine sacrament. The mistress and queen of heaven, who by clear vision was observing all that passed, and knew the interior and exterior effects and affections in the apostles at Holy Communion, saw also the accursed intentions of the obstinate Judas. All the zeal for the glory of her Lord existing in her as his mother, spouse, and daughter was aroused in her purest heart, knowing that it was the divine will that she should make use of her power as mother and queen, She commanded the holy angels to extract from the mouth of Judas the consecrated particles, as well of the bread as of the wine, and replace them from whence they had been taken. It well befitted her on this occasion to defend the honor of her divine Son, and prevent Judas from heaping such an ignominious injury upon Christ the Lord. The holy angels obeyed their queen, and when it was the turn of Judas to communicate, they withdrew the consecrated species, one after the other and purifying them from their contact with Judas, the most wicked of living men, they restored them to their place, altogether unobserved by the disciples. Thus the Lord shielded the honor of his malicious and obstinate apostle to the end. This was attended to by the angels in the shortest space of time, and the others then received holy communion, for Judas was neither the first nor the last to communicate. Then our Savior offered thanks to the Eternal Father, and therewith ended both the legal and the sacramental supper, in order to begin the mysteries of his Passion, which I will relate in the subsequent chapters. The Queen of Heaven attended to all, full of wonder and joyful praise, magnifying the Most High. Instruction given to me by the Queen of Heaven. 489 O my daughter, would that the believers in the holy Catholic faith open their hardened and stony hearts in order to attain to a true understanding of the sacred and mysterious blessing of the Holy Eucharist. If they would only detach themselves, root out and reject their earthly inclinations, and, restraining their passions, apply themselves with living faith, to study, by the divine light, their great happiness, in thus possessing their eternal God in the Holy Sacrament, and in being able, by its reception constant intercourse, to participate in the full effects of this heavenly manna. If they would only worthily esteem this precious gift begin to taste its sweetness, and share in the hidden power of the omnipotent God, then nothing would ever be wanting to them in their exile. In this, the happy age of the law of grace, mortals have no reason to complain of their weakness and their passions, since in this bread of heaven they have at hand and strength. It matters not that they are tempted and persecuted by the demon, for by receiving the sacrament frequently they are enabled to overcome him gloriously." The faithful are themselves to blame for all their poverty and labors, since they pay no attention to this divine mystery, nor avail themselves of the divine powers, thus placed at their disposal by their Most Holy Son. I tell thee truly, my dearest, that Lucifer and his demons have such a fear of the Most Holy Eucharist, that to approach it causes them more torment than to remain in hell itself. Although they do not enter churches in order to tempt souls, they enter them with aversion, forcing themselves to endure cruel pains in the hope of destroying a soul and drawing it into sin, especially in the holy places and in the presence of the Holy Eucharist. Their wrath against the Lord and against the souls alone could induce them to expose themselves to the torment of his real sacramental presence. 490. Whenever he is carried through the streets, they usually fly and disperse in all haste. And they would not dare to approach those that accompany him, if by their long experience they did not know that they will induce some to forget their reverence due to their Lord. Therefore they make special efforts to tempt the faithful in the churches. For they know what great injury they can thereby do to the Lord himself, who in his sacramental love is there waiting to sanctify and to receive the return of the sweetest and untiring love. Hence, thou canst also understand the strength of those who prepare themselves to partake of this bread of the angels, and how the demons fear the souls who receive the Lord worthily and devoutly, and who strive to preserve themselves in this purity until the next communion. But there are very few who live with this intention, and the enemy is ceaselessly alert in striving to throw them back into their forgetfulness, distraction, and indifference so that he may not be obliged to encounter such powerful weapons in the hands of men. Write this abomination in thy heart, and since without thy merit the Almighty has ordained that thou receive Holy Communion daily, seek by all possible means to preserve thyself in the good dispositions from one Communion to the other. It is the will of the Lord my own, that this sword thou will fight the battles of the Almighty in the name of the Holy Church against the invisible enemies. For in our days they are heaping affliction and sorrow upon the mistress of nations, while there is none to console her or to take to heart. Do thou thyself weep for the same reason, and let thy heart be torn in sorrow. But while the omnipotent and just judge who is so greatly incensed against the Catholics for having outraged his justice by their unmeasurable and continual transgressions, even under the aegis of the grand faith. None are found to consider and weigh the fearful damage, nor to approach the easy remedy of receiving the Holy Eucharist with a contrite and humble heart. Nor does anyone ask for my intercession. 491. Though all the children of the church largely incur this fault, yet more to be blamed are the unworthy and wicked priests for by the irreverence with which they treat the blessed sacrament, the other Catholics have been drawn to undervalue it. If the people see that their priests approach the divine mysteries with holy fear and trembling, they learn to treat and receive their God in like manner. Those that so honour him shall shine in heaven like the sun among the stars, for glory of my divine son's humanity will redound in a special measure and those who have behaved well toward him in the blessed sacrament, and have received him with all reverence. Whereas this will not happen to those who have not frequented this holy table with devotion. Moreover, the devout will bear on their breast, where they have so often harbored the Holy Eucharist, most beautiful and resplendent inscriptions, showing that they were most worthy tabernacles of the holy sacrament. This will be a great accidental reward for them and a source of jubilation and admiration for the holy angels and all the rest of the blessed. They will also enjoy the special favor of being able to penetrate deeper into the mystery of the presence of the Lord in the sacrament and to understand all the rest of the wonders hidden therein. This will be such a privilege that it alone would suffice for their eternal happiness even if there were no other enjoyment in heaven. Moreover, the essential glory of those who have worthily and devoutly received the Holy Eucharist will, in several respects, exceed the glory of many martyrs who have not received the body and blood of the Lord. 4.92 I wish thee also to hear, my dearest daughter, from my own mouth what were my sentiments when in mortal life I was about to receive Holy Communion. In order that thou mayest better understand what I say, reflect on all I have commanded thee to write about my gifts, merits, and labors in life. I was preserved from original sin, and at the instant of my conception, I received the knowledge and vision of the divinity, as thou hast often recorded. I knew more than all the saints. I surpassed the highest seraphim in love. I never committed any fault. I constantly practiced all the virtues in a heroic degree, and in the least of them, I was greater than all the saints." in their highest perfection. The intention and object of my actions were most exalted, and my habits and gifts were noble without measure. I imitated my Most Holy Son most closely. I labored most faithfully. I suffered with eagerness and cooperated with the doings of the Lord exactly as was becoming to me. I ceased not to exercise my love and gain new and supereminent merits of grace. Yet I thought myself to have been fully repaid by being allowed to receive him even once in the Holy Eucharist. Yea, I did not consider myself worthy of this one favor. Reflect, then, what should be thy sentiments, and those of the rest of the children of Adam, on being admitted to the reception of this admirable sacrament? And if for the greatest of saints one holy communion is a superabundant reward, what must the priests and the faithful think when they are allowed to receive it so frequently? Open thy eyes in the deep darkness and blindness which overwhelm men around thee, and raise them up to the divine brightness." In order to understand these mysteries, look upon thy works as insufficient, all thy sufferings as most insignificant, all thy thanksgivings as falling far short of what thou owest for such an exquisite blessing as that of possessing in the Holy Church. Christ, my divine Son, present in the Holy Sacrament, in order to enrich all the faithful, If thou hast not wherewith to show thy thanks for this, and the other blessings which thou receivest, at least humiliate thyself to the dust, and remain prostrate again upon it, confess thyself unworthy in all the sincerity of thy heart. Magnify the Most High, bless and praise him, preserving thyself at all times worthy to receive him, and to suffer many martyrdoms in return for such a favor. This concludes my reading today for day number 236. Today we've been reading from Volume Three, Book Six, Chapter Eleven, paragraphs four eighty-two to four ninety-two. The Holy Communion of Our Lady has always been something that I've been interested in, and I'm grateful to know what Maria of Agreda says. One of my hero writers, Father Daniel Lord wrote in his book, The Song of the Rosary, as he reflected on the Last Supper, he believed, well, maybe Mary was the sacristan. And there she took maybe the chalice with a drop of Christ's precious blood and received it. And so today we hear that the communion was brought to her, and it remained with her for three days. You think for us, we we receive Holy Communion, and it remains with us for a very short time, but it becomes a part of us. For Mary, that Holy Communion was to sustain her until Easter Sunday, to sustain her in her sufferings over the, over the next several days during the passion and death of the Lord. And I look forward because we heard that there the ineffable sacrament of the Holy Eucharist remained deposited from that hour until after the resurrection when St. Peter said the first mass and consecrated anew as I shall relate in its place. And I'll talk about that, but that was a very moving image for me to recall and to think of, and I'll share why uh, when we get to that day in which that's read. But then what did Mary do after she received Holy Communion? Having received Holy Communion, the Blessed Mother gave thanks to the Eternal Father and to her divine Son a new canticles similar to the ones the incarnate word had rendered to his father. To give thanks, she sang songs. We sing songs too at communion time, but personally, every day we should give thanks, or every time that we receive Holy Communion, we thank Jesus. Thank you for coming to me. Thank you for entering under my roof. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for making me new by your presence. Just to have a little prayer of gratitude after we receive the Holy Eucharist. And then we saw kind of the sacrilege that Judas wanted to commit by stealing the host. So you think about the sacrilege that takes place in the church today, that people do steal hosts and they want to do bad things with them. And it's right there at the very beginning. There's nothing new under the sun. But it's important then for us to make reparation, for us to say, Lord, I am sorry for the way that you are offended in the Holy Eucharist for the way that people don't appreciate you. And so by our Eucharistic reception, we say, I'm sorry, Lord, as well. We can make a holy hour before the exposed blessed sacrament and make reparation for those offenses against the Holy Eucharist. The Holy Eucharist is meant to sustain us. It is meant to strengthen us as we daily walk with the Lord, that he will give us grace on Sunday when we receive him, that will stay with us for the rest of the week until we come back and receive him again. Foster a deeper devotion to the Eucharist in your life, and in doing so, you'll be imitating Our Lady. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.